Thank you, musicians. What a great job you did this morning. Wow. Thank you to everyone who's done a lot of hard work this morning. I know that you had a nice time at the breakfast. I was unfortunately not able to make it. Yep. That good, huh? I clap every morning I finish my McDonald's Egg McMuffin. <laughs> thank God. And uh, thank you so much to, again, the security and welcome team that have done double effort. And we're just very grateful. Parking lot staff, very thankful for what you've done. Well, good morning, and we're glad to have you celebrate Easter with us here at Northwest Baptist Church, where we confess a risen Savior. Amen. We believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do not believe that this is a story, not merely a story or a tale that you tell children, but a real historical event that has real meaning for our lives and for your lives today and forevermore. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Romans 6. Romans 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14. This morning I'm reading out of the NIV. The NIV. And hold your place there, if you would, while we go to the Lord in prayer. God, your power is demonstrated to us day by day. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day by day and night by night, they pour out speech. There is nowhere on earth where their voice is not heard. Lord, from the farthest galaxies in the universe to every DNA strand and every cell, Your creation declares that you are God. And only the fool could say in his heart, there is no God. What is it for you to say, let there be light? Is it any different for you to say to a dead body, let there be life? The same power that rocked our universe gave life to this world and this beautiful universe is the same voice that said, let there be life to the body of Jesus that laid in the tomb 2,000 years ago. Lord, we believe that you are creator and yet some of us balk at the idea that you are able to raise dead bones to life. If you made the bones Why is it hard for you to raise the bones? It is nothing for you, God. God, you didn't raise anyone else from the dead. No other Messiah from the dead. Only Jesus. He is the only one who can take away our sins. He is the only one who can give us new life. The world today would put other saviors before you, God. They would say that these saviors are equal to your son, but we know better. We know that only 
Jesus is God. Only Jesus has died for our sins. And only Jesus has raised to give us life. Lord, you raised his body from the dead. And today we confess that. And Lord, I ask you to give life to dead bodies this morning. God, our nation is full of corpses, dead, lifeless, without Christ. But Lord, my concern is not our nation this morning. My concern is every individual in this house this morning. Every individual that will hear us over the internet this morning. Lord, my concern is that through the word of God, your word, as explained by me, Lord, not by my power, but by your spirit, you would open up hearts. That is your work. What am I but a sower? What am I but a waterer? You are the one who speaks life into our dead bodies. Holy Spirit, speak life into dead bodies this morning. Lord, some of us have just a dead faith. Some of us have a tired faith. God, resurrect our dead and tired faith this morning. Be here among us, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at our text. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The reason why Paul asked, what shall we say then, is because he has just argued definitively that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When you hear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the natural question is, well then what's left for me to do? If Christ has done everything, if grace is God's gift, if faith is your working, then what's left for me to do? So Paul asked the question because he knows that other Christians and other people are going to ask the question, and this is the question that he asked, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. A great offense against the resurrection of Christ is being committed today by many who profess to be Christians. The offense is this. So-called Christians are going on sinning rather than walking in newness of life. Going on is a good way to describe how many professing Christians today live their lives. Many go on unaffected and unchanged since the time of their baptism. Many have come to Christ, they have been baptized into Christ, and in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, only to go right on sinning. No difference. But too many professing Christians have accepted the substitutionary death of Christ, but not His sacrificial living. Many confessing Christians have confessed the cross with their mouths, but reject the resurrection with their lives. In a 2016 article entitled, It's Hard to Go to Church, I think about how hard it was for me to go to church growing up in a pastor's home. I never had that option. I never told my dad, it's hard to go to church. Dad, it's hard today. Son, get up. Or I'm going to get you up. For those of you who don't know, that is a, that is a spot-on impersonation of my father. And for those of you who don't know, he would have actually gotten me up physically. That was back when you could still spank kids and it was okay. Unfortunately, I grew up at a time where spanking was okay. I wish I would have grown up today where you just give a timeout. Because it works so well. See these bags under my eyes? I call those timeout bags. We have a hole in the floor from where one of them just sits so much. But I digress. In a 2016 article entitled, It's Hard to Go to Church, Emma Green explains the shift in what experts are calling public religious practice. Public religious practice. Let me read a small excerpt from our article. What's behind this shift in public religious practice and what does the shift look like in detail? Those who are skipping out, that is on public religious practice, those who are skipping out as if it's a, an option we can opt out on, aren't necessarily doing it for reasons of belief. I, I would agree. Here's what the Pew Research poll found. First, people who report going to worship services less frequently now than they used to 
overwhelmingly say the logistics of getting there are the biggest obstacle. She clarifies what she means by the logistics of getting there. A little further down in the article, she says, by the logistics of getting there, they mean they are too busy, have a crazy work schedule, or describe themselves as, quote-unquote, too lazy to go. Others said they just don't care about attending services as much as doing other things. Second thing they found was a significant number of people who said they're not a part of any particular religion expressed mistrust of religious institutions, suggesting these organizations' reputations have something to do with why people are dropping out of public religious participation. In other words, it's the church's fault why I don't believe in Jesus. In other words, if the church were different, then all of the things that Scripture says would now be magically true. That is illogical. There are a lot of bad people who say true things. And truth does not hinge upon a person's character. Bad people tell truths all of the time. Look at politicians. Third was 51% of Americans go to church or other religious services, so not necessarily church, somewhere between once a month and multiple times a week, while 49% go rarely or never to church. I don't want to respond to all of these issues right now, not because I don't desire to, but because we don't have time to. But I do want to note one thing about Green's article. That is that experts and Americans alike today make a distinction between public and private worship. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus makes the same distinction about public and private worship that the experts do? Of course he doesn't. There is only worship. And the reason why we baptize up there is so the whole world knows we belong to Christ. A brother of mine has put his baptismal pool outside and on the corner of a major intersection so that everyone passing by can see those who profess Christ. There is no distinction between public and private worship, at least not in the mind that counts, God's mind. I am afraid that too many Christians are still in the tombs of their old life. Many have prayed prayers and many have been baptized. Many have even eaten from the Lord's table, but these things in themselves, without evidence of a new life, are not enough to vindicate one's union with Christ and His death. I ask you this morning, where is the empty tomb of your old life? Where are the heralds who proclaim that your old ways have died and Christ has risen in you? 
Where are the many convincing proofs that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Our sepulchers are polished and white this morning, but the graves of our old life are still occupied with nothing but our dry bones. But just as Christ has not only died, but has been raised, those who have been united with Christ in His death have also been raised to walk in newness of life. Just as the resurrection is the vindication of all that Christ taught and did, so too are our lives lived out in obedience to Christ, the vindication of our profession of faith. It is impossible for a true believer to stay dead. I said it is impossible for a true believer to stay dead. Note the word true. All who are united with Christ in His death are certainly raised with Christ in His resurrection. For a Christian is to be all that Christ was and is. It was in Antioch where the way, that was the first name for the church, where the way was first given the nickname Christianos, meaning Christians in English, or those who behave like Christ behaved. And the people in Antioch were well known for their ability to give nicknames. So what they did was they looked at the life of those who were in the church who were called the way and they began to nickname them little Christians, little Christ. Because what they said and did looked like Christ. I wonder if we were living in Antioch today, that is the American church, what nickname they might give to us. Hippocrates? This is assuming, of course, that they would even be able to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians. But the Bible rejects the notion that we can be saved by Christ's death without also being raised to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4, and 5 says, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Romans 8.11 says, if, this is a conditional, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, in the few moments that we have together this morning, let us soberly consider our walk with Christ. I invite believers, backsliders, and seekers alike to consider the weight of Christ's invitation to all of us. I have no tricks or gimmicks this morning. I have no visual aid save for my PowerPoint. I won't sneak you into heaven with easy believism either. I'm here only to preach what Jesus preached. That is, if anyone would come after me, that is Christ. Let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. For who would ever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's the point I want to make this morning, and I want to look at our passage and see how it influences this point. Because we have died to sin through Christ's death on the cross, we have also been raised to walk in newness of life. Because we have died to sin through Christ's death on the cross, we have also been raised to walk in newness of life. Let me explain to you just really quickly what's going on in our passage. There is a tension between what is called the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is the part of this Bible verse that tells us what God has done in your life. For those who are believers, it is an indicative. It is what God has done for you. And so this passage is a tension between indicative and also imperative, which is what God commands us to do. So there is this tension between what God has done with what we must do. So, you'll see things that are indicative. You have died to sin is an example of an indicative. Or you have been raised to walk in newness of life is also an indicative. But that is not where the passage leaves us. It leaves us all with something to do in the imperative. Namely this, go and walk in newness of life. So let's talk about the indicatives at the beginning. First, we have been united with Christ in His death. I doubt that any of you celebrated the death of your old nature this past Friday. Good Friday is the day we celebrate Christ's death, not ours. But the Bible tells us to those who are in Christ, when Christ died, you died with Him. At least the old you died with Him. The death of Christ was more than the death of a man. It was the death of sin. It was even the death of death. All sin. My sin. Your sin. The Pope's sin. The President's sin. If anybody finds it hard to believe that the President sins. All sin. All of us who are in Christ died with Christ. But on Friday, we celebrated the death of Christ. Many of us didn't think about the fact that we were there. If we're in Christ, we were there with him on the cross. He paid the penalty for us. Isaiah 25, 8 said, For he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away, he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. See the indicative again, what God has done. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. On the cross, God worked a work of propitiation whereby he counted unto Christ, who knew no sin, the sins of all of us. 
As it says in the Word of God, He has counted Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us and to count us to be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Galatians 3.13 said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ became our curse. Our penalty. That each and every one of us, because of our sin, earned. I still speak with people who tell me they have earned a good life. Why would God convict them or send them to hell? Because they're good people. But, but who is the judge of your goodness? Is it God or is it you? Is it God or is it the world? Because God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No flesh will glory in His presence. That the best of men and women fall infinitely short of God's righteousness. So that Christ has to come and die and all those who wish to have eternal life must be united with him in his death. So what does it mean then to be united with Christ in his death? It means that Christ bore our sins and the penalty for our sins on the cross. And not only that, but that we have become the righteousness of God. Not only has Christ taken away the sins of all those who believe on his name, he has expiated them. That means wiped them away. But he has also put us in a favorable relationship with God. That is, he has propitiated. We have gone from being God's enemies to being God's children. If... We have been united in his death. It is not that Christ has simply wiped away your sins on the cross. It is so much more than that. It is that you and I who were once enemies have now become friends of God. Yes, I say children of God. Someone would say to me, well, aren't we all God's children? No. Only those who are united with Christ in his death. Because Christ is the propitiation. He has wiped away our sins and he has propitiated us, put us in a right and favorable stance with God where we are now God's children. But what is more, we have been united with Christ in his death, but we will be and have been raised with Christ in his resurrection. Once again, it's doubtful that we have thought much this morning about our being raised with Christ. I won't pick the low-hanging fruit of making Easter more about rabbits than resurrection, 
But I mean that many Christians who love the Easter holiday and the sunrise sermons, the worship service and the praise of Christ, have not thought much about the resurrection or what it means for them today. Again, many of us will talk about the resurrection far off when Christ comes again to raise us up on the last day. And this is true indeed. It is the very hope of our salvation that death in this life is not the end for the believer. But that yes, far off or close off, just as Christ was lit, let me make this very clear, literally raised... Not figuratively, but literally raised from death to life, you will literally be raised from death to life. We have, for an illustration, I'm thinking about maybe cutting a hole in the wall right here so we can get a good sight on both the baptismal pool and the cemetery across the street. Here's what I mean. When you go out this morning and you see that cemetery, here's what I mean. I mean that everyone in those caskets down below and in those sarcophagi, every one of them who is united to Christ in his death will literally come out of the ground raised into an incorruptible, imperishable flesh. That is the hope of the resurrection. And I don't know when it is. And your uncle who drinks Corona doesn't know when it is either. That is the hope of our salvation. But that's not the only resurrection. Romans 6.11 In the same way, count yourselves dead. Now, count yourselves. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Since Christ has died and has been raised to God, we also have died with Christ and have been raised to God now. Today. April 16th, 2017. If you are in Christ, you have been raised to walk in newness of life. But it is important to note in our text the double way in which Paul's speaking about the resurrection. The primary way which he uses the word resurrection in this passage, and this is exactly why I selected this passage, is the resurrection and what it means for our life today. So therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies... Because we have been raised to walk in newness of life. So in a very real sense, Paul sees the resurrection as beginning in this life, but remaining incomplete. Theologians call this the already but not yet. We have already been raised to walk in newness of life. But our resurrection has not yet been completed in the glorification of our bodies, of our whole person. Our mind, our body has not yet been raised. And that won't happen until we die and Christ returns. 
Just note the way that Paul shifts the verb to be, which is the Greek me. Note the way that he shifts the verb from the past have been to the future will be in Romans 6.5, which says this. For if we have been united with Christ in his death, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It means that we have to think of the resurrection as more than merely what will be out there in the future. We must also think about the resurrection and what it is today for all who have been united to Christ in his death. This is again the indicative. It's what God has done. He, he has laid upon him the penalty of us all. He has united us with him on the cross. He has raised us to newness of life. He will raise us completely in the future. This is what God has done. We will be raised bodily in the future from the grave the same way Christ has been raised bodily from the grave. But we must also consider ourselves in this life to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here's the imperative. The imperative is what we must do. We must walk in newness of life. I spoke already about going on. Paul began chapter 6 with his question, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? His answer was a resounding no. But what then should we do? Some have seen idleness as an option. In other words, doing nothing. This is the sin of our day. As noted in the article in the Pew Research study, many are not leaving the church because of belief. Many are leaving the church because of its inconvenience to their lives. Our relationship with the visible body is an indication of our relationship and the status with the invisible body. It's not foolproof, but it's a good indication. If you're not a part of a visible body, that means a local church, it is a good indication that you are not a part of the invisible body. That means those who will be saved and will inherit the kingdom of God. Too many t-shirts in this city have faces of boys and girls in heaven who never knew Jesus on earth. That is false theology. That is a lie. You don't get to go to heaven if you don't have unity with Christ's death. You say, I'm never coming back. If you do or you don't, it is by God's providence. I am here to preach only the truth to you. 
What would you have from me? Many of us are lukewarm. We're neither hot nor cold. We're not really in or out. We love Jesus, but not his church. We've got church online. We don't need to go there. We're too busy to serve others, but they know and agree. We know and agree with all that the Bible says. And when we get around to it, when everything in our lives just slows down a little bit, then we'll have enough time for God. But this won't work either. Because the weapon against a life of sin is not idleness and apathy, but rather walking in newness of life. Instead of going on sinning, it is not to go on doing nothing. It is to walk in newness of life. That means I can see it. Just as they saw the resurrected body of Christ, we should be able to see the resurrect of your faith. It ought to be visible to us. I ought to be able to touch it and see it and hear it and smell it. It ought to be obvious that you are transformed. But that's not what's popular in America. Everything but Jesus is popular in America. You can be anything but a disciple of the Lord. You can be confused about the way that your physical body was made, but praise Jesus and you're hated. And we're okay with it. We know about what God has done for us, but do we hear enough about what we have to do in response? God has made us new creations, then go and be new creations. You can only be what you are. This past week I was watching this show on Netflix, and there was, it was about sharks, and there was this one shark that was born and, and the mother lays an egg and it's, it, it's like a giant screw and the egg, she, she pushes down in the rocks and the shark grows in this egg and in a couple weeks, it, it takes no time at all. I wish real human birth were like this. Real human pregnancy. I wish you could just lay eggs too. Those bunnies said, do bunnies lay eggs by the way? What is that? I never thought about that. By the way, bunnies don't lay eggs. But she, she puts this, she doesn't screw it down, but she puts this egg down in there and, and the, the, the embryo begins to grow, the shark begins to grow, and the moment that the egg is broken, the shark comes out and just starts behaving like a shark. From the, from the moment it comes out, it starts doing all the things sharks do. It, it starts to wiggle its tail and it, it goes on to hunt the way that sharks hunt. And nobody has to convince it that it's a shark. The shark doesn't say, well, you know, I don't really have time to be a shark right now. You know, I got to work right now. The life is just so hectic. I mean, I got to work on Sunday, you know. Oh, I believe I'm a shark. Because I look at it, I look like I'm a shark. And yeah. No, he just goes and he's a shark. 
Because that's what his creation is. His creation goes and behaves like sharks behave. But if any man is in Christ, any man, woman, or child is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. The old has died, the new has come. So we don't get to say, well, I don't know, I want to get around. No, listen to me, please, before I get you one Sunday. These pews aren't this packed every week. So I get you one Sunday. Listen to what I'm saying. Christian is as Christian does. Romans 6, 4, and 12, and 13 says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him. What does every part of yourself mean? It means every part of your life. It means your Monday through Sunday. It means your computer and your compass. It means your car. It means what you, what you use your money with. It means every part of you. Every member. Every part of yourself to Him as instruments of righteousness. This is an indicative and the imperative of the new life. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. That is what God has done. Now walk in newness of life. This is what we must do. God has made us alive in Christ, so now go and live. I go back to Paul's first question. Because Paul asked this question because some Christians he knew would ask this question. Namely, shall we go on sinning? Since the indicative is that we're saved, should we go on sinning? Since we've been united with his death and we've been united with his resurrection, can we just go on and forget Jesus and his church? And Paul's answer is what? By no means. We shall not go on sinning, but we shall go on in righteousness. Easter's not just a holiday. It's a way of life. We have resurrected our wardrobes this morning. You look very pretty. I expected more hats. <laughs> We've resurrected our wardrobes this morning, dusting off our suits and dresses, ironing our shirts and blouses, and polishing our shoes and handbags. Our ovens are currently slow roasting. Someone just got a text that their oven and their, their ham is done. 
That's what you get when you leave it on. Our ovens are currently slow-roasting farm animals of different kinds, each savory and more savory than the next. Our refrigerators are stocked full of casseroles, cakes, platters, and pies, all waiting to be unwrapped and eaten by our families and friends. Our homes are decorated in pastels of pink and yellow and blue, and bunny baskets sit atop our kitchen tables waiting to be plucked at by children and adults alike. And all of this to celebrate a day. By all means, have your holiday. And I love pastels and pastries as much as the next man. But don't miss the meaning of the Easter holiday. Christ has risen to God that we may walk in newness of life. If all we have to show for this life is a celebration of the resurrection and not the fruit of the resurrection, then we have not been united with Christ. Here's what John said. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us all from sin. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, work the work you are responsible for. I am nothing but the sower. Others will water. Holy Spirit, give the growth. Amen.